Hello, everybody. Uh, for those of you who don't know me, my name is Kyle. I'm a member here at Doxology, and I'm doing the scripture reading today. Um, I am going to be reading out of 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. So I invite you to turn your Bibles there or uh, get, go to the, that section of your Bible on your phone or online. Uh, if you don't have a Bible and would like one, we have Bibles that look just like this uh, in the front uh, that is our gift to you. Uh, so once again, it's uh, 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 through 17. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. For this is the will of God, that by doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. Honor everyone, love the brotherhood, fear God, honor the emperor. This is God's word. dwelling in a tent, not a castle, so to speak. And so, on the one hand, because this isn't our home and we're just passing through, uh, this frees us from a lot of the things that tend to shackle a lot of people down. However, as Pastor Justin Pearson preached last week, we're not called to be escapists and be so heavily minded that we're of no earthly good, but we do dwell here. And so what Peter very helpfully addresses is, how do we live as those who belong to Jesus in a culture, especially a culture that is hostile toward Christ and toward the Christian faith. And uh, what Peter addresses today is the topic of government. So if you're a Christian, how do you relate to government? Very needed, right? I'm sure none of you are going to be offended in, in today's passage. And so here's just you know my promise to you guys, as it is every week, uh, but no less today, is I'm here not to give you Steve's two cents on how a Christian should relate to government. I do have my own opinions, but here, my job is just to just to present to you what God is clearly saying in these five verses in First Peter. And so I, I appreciate that God in his word helps us wrestle with these very, very difficult things. And I think this will be, I'm very hopeful this will be helpful for us as a church. And so um, what we'll do this evening is, first we're just going to look at how does Peter frame these five verses on relating to government? Because a lot of people get confused because they don't understand the context. And then once we understand how Peter frames this section, then we'll look into the actual practical applications of the game. Like, how do, we, how do we think about being a Christian and engaging with the government? So first, how does Peter frame this section overall, just so we can understand it? And then number two, once we have that framework, uh, how do we actually relate to government uh, as a follower of Jesus? And so what's key to understand about how Peter frames this, um, and actually up until partway through chapter four, so... If you have your Bible, I hope you do, go back with me into what we looked at last week in verse 12. So Peter says in verse 12, Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. So Peter there, he's starting a new section in 1 Peter. Okay, so this is going to be our controlling lens throughout... Um, like, all the way into, like, well into chapter 3, okay? And so what Peter's essentially saying is, by keeping your conduct among the Gentiles honorable, what, what he means by that is, as a believer, you're not just called to avoid the bad stuff. But as a Christian, you're called to live an honorable life. You're called to live a beautiful life, right? Unfortunately, a lot of Christians are known more for complaining than they are about actually, like, living a beautiful life. But why do we live a life that's beautiful, 
And he says, so that the Gentiles, so that's, um, that's not ethnic Gentiles, but unbelievers, when they, when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God in the day of visitation, i.e., when you live an honorable life as a follower of Jesus, this plays a role in, as you proclaim the gospel with your mouth, and it's backed up by beautiful actions, people will come to saving faith. And so, in other words, the stakes are very high. Because when you do or do not live a life that's honorable, this has a tangible impact on whether or not people come to know Jesus as a result of being around you and watching your life. So that's the first thing he's saying. And then number two, what what frames all of this is, these are less than ideal circumstances. Peter's writing writing into a group of people who they're afraid, they're oppressed, there's um, all sorts of, of political corruption going on. And so when Peter talks about government here, and then in the next passage we'll talk about servants and masters, and then we'll talk about marriage after that. One of the things that confuses people is uh, the Bible was written in, in a place and time. And so Peter's, okay, if you are a vulnerable population, so a Christian in politics or a woman in a marriage, especially in a culture that didn't do a lot to protect women, if you're a servant in a culture that still had a servitude as a, as a normal thing, here's what you do basically to live a beautiful life in less than ideal circumstances. Does that make sense? And so if, if you can sum up what he's going to do here now with government, it's as a Christian in a less than ideal political climate, here's how you live beautifully so that you commend the gospel with your life and unbelievers around you uh, come to see Christ. Okay, living a beautiful life, less than ideal circumstances so that other people may come to know Christ. And so now he's going to get into, okay, what does this actually look like when it comes to your relationship to the government? Okay, so let's pick it up in verse 13. Be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution, whether it be to the emperor as supreme or to governors as sent by him to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. So Peter's doing something very clever here. And so on the one hand, he says, be subject for the Lord's sake to every human institution. So for the Lord's sake. As Americans, we like to be subject to people or to submit to people, is another way to translate that, for our sake. So if we voted for the person or if, it, if we feel like it leads to our personal happiness, then we'll submit to the individual or honor the authority or obey the authority. But Peter says, no, it's for the Lord's sake that you do this. And then in verse 15, he says, for this is the will of God. This is the will of God that you do this. So it's challenging because... Especially for Americans, we don't like to be under any kind of authority. He's saying, even if you didn't vote for the individual, to, to dishonor those who are in governing positions over you, or to disobey them, is to dishonor or to disobey God. Is what Peter says. And so we immediately want to jump to the objections, right? So we say, what if I despise the policies that this official wants to put in place? Or what if I can't stand the character of this individual? Okay, so remember our framework. These are less than ideal circumstances. So what's, what was really helpful for me as I was studying this is remembering that Peter is writing under the regime of Nero, most likely. And say one thing for Nero. Say he's not somebody you want to babysit your children. Okay, so Nero was a madman. He murdered his own mother, uh, when there was the great fire in, 80, in the 1860s in Rome, uh, Nero blamed Christians, and then Christians were there, they, they were thrown to wild beasts, Christians were burned alive, they were crucified as a result of Nero blaming them. So clearly Peter isn't saying, 
you have to agree with the character of the policies of your governing official to submit to them and to honor them. But he's saying that still for the Lord's sake, you need to honor your governing officials. So that's, that's one thing he says that's challenging, but, and then here's where he's particularly clever. He says, so you see where he says, for the Lord's sake, to every human institution there in the beginning of verse 13. So that word for institution is actually, it's a double meaning. One, it means institution like a system, but it's also the same word for creature. And so what Peter is, yes, you submit to your leader, but at the same time, remember, they are only creatures. And this was uh, particularly combative, if you will, in uh, the era of Peter's readers, because there was this thing called the imperial, imperial cult going on, where people were worshiping the emperor as a deity, and Christians would have felt pressure to worship the emperor as a deity as well. But you're saying, no, yes, you submit to him, but also remember, he's only a creature. And whether he recognizes or not, he serves under the authority of God. And so also don't, don't attribute to him you know, more uh, weight than you should, because he's only a creature. And so what Peter does here by saying, A, submit to authorities, but B, remember they are only creatures, is he helps us avoid falling into the two ditches that we tend to fall into as Christians, right? So the first error that we fall into, and this is unbiblical according to this passage, is some of us, we undervalue the importance of politics. We undervalue the importance of politics. And, you know, there, so there's a large cultural push to do this. Um, so Pew Research, they put out a study a year ago, it was, I believe, and you know, this won't surprise you, but it was something like 80% of Americans don't trust politicians to do, like, what's right even most of the time. And then also two-thirds of Americans say they have a hard time distinguishing what's true from untrue anytime they hear a politician speak. And you can understand why people think this, because often that is how it plays out. But the danger for us as believers is we adopt this cultural cynicism. And then, because we're Christians, we, we say something like this. Yes, like because we have a greater understanding of human sin and depravity, and we get that our home isn't of this world. But where we err is we go, yeah, I know some people, you know, like they idolize politics and they put too much hope in it. But I'm a Christian, my home isn't here. And so politics is just kind of this necessary evil that I need to deal with until I get to heaven. Peter says, no, politics and government deeply matter. They deeply matter. See what he says? He says, um, governors are sent by him, that's the emperor or king supreme, to punish those who do evil and to praise those who do good. And so government and politics, yes, are they colored by sin? Of course. But in a large sense, especially at their best, government does so many things that are important practically and ethically. Right? So there are, there are children to be educated, and there is crime to be curbed, and there are parks that need to be preserved, and there's the poor that need to be provided for, and there's streets that need to be shaped. And, and, and government and, and policies do a lot to, to um, enhance these things for the betterment of human beings. And if you're here in America and you generally go to sleep at night without worrying about you know, an external threat like coming into this nation... You can thank your, your governing officials. Because government deeply... It's not, just, um, it's, not, it's not just a necessary evil, but it is a positive good put in place by God for human flourishing. And so this is also why it shouldn't be discouraged for Christians 
to enter into political and governmental um, areas to bring the kingdom of God into those areas and work with all your might. So anything that helps with anything that meets or addresses societal concerns, whether it be economics or foreign policy or national security. Christians need to be in these places because this is something that is good that God has ordained for human beings made in his image. And so, I mean, broadly speaking, for any of you who are in positions of leadership, you know, whether it's in the classroom or, or the private sector, anything where you're in a position of leadership, but also specifically for those of you who do work in government and do work in policy, um, I want you all to be extremely cur- encouraged that the things that you're doing deeply matter. And God has ordained the things that you do in government and in politics to care for his creation. And so I know, I mean, I don't really know because I've, I've never worked in government, but I'm, I know there are many hair-pulling moments of exasperation, of exasperation and vexation, but God is using what you're doing to care for his creation. Okay, so I, I want us as a church to not play the whole, like, oh, politics don't, don't really matter. Yeah, I know some people get obsessed over it because it matters. Okay, God uses it to care for his creation. On the other hand, and you probably know what I'm going to say next, is don't obsess over politics either. Remember, Peter says, remember, the leaders that are over you are only creatures. And so especially in our city, D.C., probably more than any other city in the nation, there is a, there is a kind of totalizing effect of politics, right, where we are, are tempted to, you know, like, just think about it all the time because most of the jobs here are political and our news feeds are, are filled with political current events. And so what happens is we ascribe way too much weight to what's going on in the political square. And one of the reasons why people lose their minds and why, why Christians, you know, you see this all the time in the church, like can't think beyond their, their emotions is because they can't see past the human leaders and those who are elected to president and the Supreme Court and the House to God who sits over all of these leaders and rulers. Remember, they are only creatures because there is only one king and his name is Jesus Christ. And one day he'll finally usher in a one-party system where there's complete peace and complete justice and that's going to be an amazing day. But until then, what we do is we honor our government leaders but at the same time we don't need to play into the emotionalism that often happens, especially in you know, more high-stakes situations like political unrest or an election. Because at the end of all things, Christ is absolutely in control. He's not surprised by anything that's going on. And along with this, because I know many of you are are probably wondering, okay, yeah, I'm supposed to submit to and honor my government leaders, but what happens when they tell me to do something that, that goes directly against God's word? And... Peter gets at that implicitly, where he says in verse 16, you know, living as as a servant of God. And in verse 13, where he says, be subject for the Lord's sake. So if a governing leader tells you to do something that's explicitly against God's character and word, then yeah, there's a contradiction there to to obey them and to be doing it as a servant of the Lord and for the Lord's sake. And so can you see an example of this with Peter? Okay, so in Acts chapter 5, Peter is preaching the gospel, and he's pulled before the authorities, and they tell him, stop preaching about Jesus. And Peter looks at them, and he's, he's respectful, he's honoring them, but he says, basically, in modern translation, he says, you know, sorry guys, I have to obey God rather than you in this situation. 
We see other examples of civil disobedience, like in the book of Exodus, when the Hebrew midwives don't kill the infant children when they're told to by Pharaoh. Okay, in our own nation, we have many examples, you know, two, two big ones of which are you know, Harriet Tubman and Martin Luther King Jr., who rightfully disobeyed the government in order to protect and fight for the rights of disenfranchised individuals in our country. So yes, if the government tells you to do something that goes against the word of God, then that, that is the exception to disobey. But what I want us to do here is, rather than jumping to the exceptions, because that's where we want to go, is focus more on the overall principle here is to live a beautiful life in these less than ideal situations by submitting to and honoring our governing officials so that unbelievers see our lives and glorify God, as Peter says in verse 12. Okay, so those are two, just two very, this is very nuanced, and I, I, I know very few people who actually do this well, myself included, but there's something we always need to be catching ourselves in when we start to, you know, fall to, to one, one side of the, the balance beam or the other. Okay, so then he continues, and he says in verse 15, um, or verse 16, sorry, live as people who are free, not using your freedom as a cover-up for evil, but living as servants of God. So... Uh, what he's getting at here is, so our modern culture thinks about freedom as freedom from constraint. So like Burning Man. Yeah, I'm just going to go. Nobody can tell me what to do. Self-expression. And that's my uh, invitation. If you go to Burning Man, sorry if you've ever gone. Uh, but what Christian freedom is, is it's actually the best kind of freedom there is. Because it's freedom to serve others. Because Jesus has freed you from condemnation. Because Jesus has freed you from the tyranny and self-absorption that comes from trying to create an identity in yourself and trying to live just for personal happiness. He's freed you from these things. So now that you're free to serve others as you serve God. So you're not supposed to say, oh yeah, Jesus died for me, so it doesn't really matter what I do in my private life and whether I submit to leaders or not. He says, no, use your freedom to serve others. And he gives a few examples of ways to do this. Uh, so one, he says in verse 15... By doing good, you should put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. Um, so what he's saying here, by doing good, you should put, the si put to silence the ignorance of foolish people. In other words, the only, the only accusation that unbelievers in your life should be able to level against you is that you follow Jesus. Like, that should be the offense that you give. What they shouldn't be able to accuse you of is not respecting or honoring those who are in government over you, is what he's saying there. And so this is one reason why, you know, us corporately as doxology, this is one reason why right now we are wearing masks and why we have seats in the pews marked and why we clean before and after service because the Virginia governor has told us these are the things that we need to do. So as people in our, our city, they, they are going to be offended by and disagree with the gospel of Jesus that we preach. However, what they shouldn't see is, oh, doxology is just a ma bunch of mavericks that they don't care about their city. They don't care about following the governor's orders or not because they just want to do whatever they want. And for you as individuals, it, it should be so clear in your workplace, especially, uh, but also in your, you know, in your circles of friends, that there should be a stark difference in how you talk about your boss, how you talk about those who are in government, compared to people who don't follow Jesus. Right? It should be clear to those you know that even if you don't agree with the character or policies of a leader, that you do honor them as somebody who's made in God's image and who serves under God's authority to help punish those who do evil 
and to praise those who do, who do good. There should be a clear difference there. Okay, and then he moves into verse 17. Okay, so how do we serve others in our freedom and honoring those who, who are in government above us? So verse 17, this is a fantastic little verse. So first he says, honor everyone. Uh, honor everyone. And you'll notice he goes from social here to love the brotherhood, that's church life, to fear God, spiritual, to honor the emperor, political. So he covers every sphere that we as Christians are going to be walking in. So first, honor everyone. When you practice this, um, when you honor everybody, any human being, because they are made in, made in God's image, this probably will confuse people in your friend groups and in your families. Because when you honor everybody, it's not going to fall neatly down you know, a, a political line. Because when you're honoring every human being, you're going to care, for example, about the human rights of the unborn. But on the other hand, you're also going to care deeply about caring for and protecting and make sure everything is in place communally, socially, legally, for women who have unwanted pregnancies and find themselves in situations where they feel incredibly hopeless. Okay, you should care about the immigrant. You should care about the sojourner. You should hate the fact that there are still systems in the country that privilege one racial group over another. You can see some of these positions sound very conservative, some of these other positions sound very liberal, but if you are honoring everybody, as Peter says... You're going to confound party lines because Christ doesn't fall neatly into a political category. Okay, so socially we honor everybody. And then love the brotherhood. So notice he saves the word love for people in the church. It's as if Peter knows that in times of political unrest, there's going to be a lot of opportunity for division in the church. And I was recently reading this article by uh, David French, who's an attorney and a, a political commentator. I know a lot of you are familiar with his work. And uh, he wrote an article, and I think it was titled, it cited some of the effect of like, the dangers of a very, very conservative Christianity, or the dangers of a very, very Republican Christianity. What, what he wasn't saying is it's not okay to vote conservative and be a Christian, but what he was saying, so he's, he leans conservative, and he talks about how for a while he and his family they lived in the Northeast, in Cambridge, I believe. And so he said there, you know, he was working as a conservative and as a Christian. And so he received, you know, all kinds of verbal attacks from people who were liberal. And then he moved to rural Tennessee. And initially, you know, so he was welcomed with open arms because a lot of people there identify as conservative. And he said, yeah, I was loved in my church and in my community until 2016. Because when 2016 came... What he decided to do was to uh, break from the GOP for that election. He decided he, just in his conscience, he did not want to vote for Trump. And he said, when I did that, I experienced so much more, like, personal hate and vitriol when I was living in Tennessee in my church than I did when I was in liberal Northeast. He said something to the effect of it was easier to be a conservative Christian in the Northeast than it was to be um, an independent Christian in the rural South. And he was essentially cut off by people in his community. And friends, I just have to say, that is not okay. It's not okay. Right? Like, going either direction, conservative to liberal or, or, or liberal to Christian. Like, the scriptures do not give you a place to put on somebody else's conscience, conscience you cannot vote independent, or you cannot vote Democrat, or you cannot vote conservative, at least with the way the current political lines are drawn. 
And so I think as a church we do this, I think, fairly well, but I, I want us to be on guard because it's so easy to moralize your position. And yeah, like, on one hand, you, you agree with everything that's just been said, but then in practice, when you find somebody just says, yeah, I voted for so-and-so, and you immediately, like, demote them or dehumanize them in your mind. And so as a church, we need to fight so hard to love the brotherhood, what, what Peter's saying here. Or if you hear, I was just talking with a Christian friend not in this church two weeks ago, and just and with the way he was talking, I just had to gently, I just had to gently correct him. I said, you realize like what you're doing here. And so if you even hear another believer starting to identify more with a political party than the kingdom of Jesus and starting to talk in, in a demonizing way or dehumanizing way about other people in the church, that needs to be corrected. Maybe because our ultimate allegiance is to God. And then he says, honor the emperor. Okay, so again, clearly he can't mean you need to agree with their character or their policies because he's writing under Nero. But you do need to honor him. And so what are a few ways you can do that? Um, I've already alluded to one of them. And one is to watch your speech. I think that's one of the, the clearest ways that you can honor or dishonor those who are in governing positions over us. It should be clear, even if you disagree with their positions, that you respect them as somebody made in the image of God. Okay, and you shouldn't be gossiping or slandering or falling into conspiracy theories. And number two, and this was more convicting for me as I was thinking about this week, is I think one of the most powerful ways we honor those who are in leadership, leadership positions is what we do on our knees during the week when we're alone. I.e., do we pray for those who are in leadership positions to know Christ if they don't already, for God to grant them wisdom, to protect them from blindness, to put other people around them who's who can support them and that they'll listen. It's, I don't know if you've tried this. I've been trying this over the past couple months. It's very hard to like pray a lot and to pray genuinely for a, or for a person, if I can just be honest, for a, for a person in leadership you just have a hard time with. But I, I promise you, because it, it's in God's word, as you do so and honor them in that way, God will soften your heart toward them. You'll want them to know Jesus. And you'll, just, you'll be changed in a lot of different ways. It's one of the, the main ways that we can, especially when no one is watching, honor those who are in leadership positions across the aisle. All right, and then finally, what are we called to do? Less than ideal circumstances. Okay, living a beautiful life so that unbelievers will see our, our, our life and glorify God. Fear God. And notice he saves the word fear for God and God alone. And what Peter is saying is here, this is rich, fear God, but in essence, what he's saying is when you have the a clear and therefore bigger view of who God is, this then orders human rulers and other human beings in their proper place. Okay, so therefore you, you treat them with humility, uh, but also you don't idolize them. Okay, so there's a wonderful balance there. And, and here's the power of how this plays out, and we see it with who's writing this letter. And it's Peter. And the thing about Peter... <laughs> So when you look at Peter's trajectory, you could say he didn't used to honor governing officials. There are, there are a number of examples. One example is when Jesus was arrested in the Garden of Gethsemane. Um, when Jesus was arrested, if you remember what Peter did, he cut off the ear of one of the officials. Okay? If you're trying to work through applications of this text, that's not being subject to the Lord's sake to every human institution. Okay? He, he, he cut off a, an official's ear. So he didn't respect and honor those in authority, but then after 
after Jesus was crucified and risen from the, from the dead, you see in Peter 1, he's writing this passage. But number 2, in the book of Acts, you see Peter who, he's no longer a coward, like he was when Peter was being arrested and he denied Jesus. He's also no longer brash. He's incredibly humble. But he doesn't fear those who are in leadership over him. So the question is, what changed for Peter in between when Jesus was initially arrested and then after? And here's what it is. And I don't know that it's going to be what you think I'm going to say. So for Peter, this is amazing. So he saw Jesus, who was always so strong and so sure, willingly subject himself to human authority. And so Jesus allowed himself to be arrested by governing authorities and was put through speedily through a very unjust trial, then had all the skin whipped off of his back. And then what happened next, what Peter saw with Jesus, is he saw the way they executed Jesus. And the way they executed Jesus was putting him on a Roman cross. And here's what we don't talk about enough when it comes to what Peter witnessed with Jesus putting on a Roman cross. Because what the Roman cross represented, what represented was, it was the epitome of human institutional authority. And it was the strongest weapon that the most powerful emperor of the most powerful uh, empire had at his disposal. Because what the cross said was, if you cross me, I will own you. I don't belong to you, you belong to me. And so if you cross me, I'm going to hang you up there and you'll be naked and you'll be ashamed and everybody will know that I have absolute control over you. And that's what Peter saw. In other words, he saw Jesus lose. But then when Jesus rose from the dead three days later, it, it didn't just communicate to Peter I'm victorious over sin and death. Here's what also, it's, it's, it's amazing. What Jesus was also communicating is, I am so much more powerful than the most powerful human weapon that anybody can ever throw at you. Amen. And so for Peter, then what he did was this allowed him to stand before human authority. He, Peter eventually was put on the cross, as far as we know, dying for his Savior, still honoring his governors to the very end, but with so much boldness because he knew they, they had no power over him compared to Jesus Christ, who proved that when he rose from the dead. So, so that's one thing we can draw. But then number two is I was thinking about this for you guys, and there's a little bit more of a peripheral, peripheral application, but it, but it still applies as we think about people in authority and just fearing God. Um, there are a lot of you right now who I know, as I've been speaking to over the past, past month or two, um, there, there's a lot that you're afraid of. Um, some of you are in job and financial situations. You don't know if it's going to work out. Others of you are in health situations. You don't, sorry. You don't know if it's going to work out. And... Others of you, I think one reason why a passage like this is so hard is because people who have been in authority over your life have not stewarded it well. Okay, and you have deep wounds because of this. 
And so I just, I want you to know when you see what Jesus has done by conquering the Roman cross is what his promise is to you is you are in union with a savior who not only knows what it's like to be scared and afraid and not only knows what it's like to be victimized or to be wounded by those who were in authority, but more than that, somebody who has actually conquered the most powerful, any, any powerful human system in the world that can harm you. And so his promises to you is that, I mean, not only has he conquered it, but he is with you and alongside you. And so, yes, human leaders are going to disappoint you. Politicians are going to fail you. Your pastor is going to disappoint you and fail you. But there is a leader who is never going to fail you or disappoint you. And his name is Jesus Christ. And he'll carry you and be with you all the way to the end. Okay, so let's go to him in prayer. Uh, Heavenly Father, I thank you so much that you are... Um, absolutely victorious over the most powerful and vile um, human beings or human systems that can oppress us. And I pray that all of us will find victory in being united to you. I pray that for those of us who are afraid right now, who don't know how a particular situation is going to work out, that uh, you will give them, in their fear, or will they cling to you and be held by these strong and tender arms of Jesus who conquered death and powerful structures itself and help us as a church body to commend the gospel by living a beautiful life, particularly in the realm of how we relate to our governing officials. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Okay.